Hello, welcome to Charity Chat. I'm your host, Samuel Davies. In this episode, we speak with Emma Russ, a regional community fundraising manager who has been put on furlough for the past few weeks. For those of you that don't know, furloughing is what the UK government is calling the JRS, the Coronavirus Job Retention Scheme. It's a scheme that, like um, the UK government, many uh, governments around the world are putting in place to ensure that workers have an opportunity to be given 80% of their wages, up to £2,500 in the UK's case, um, in place of pay from their uh, employer. It's money that employers can claim back. So essentially it's it's uh, support during this coronavirus crisis. Um, back in April 2020, the BBC reported that there had been expected 9 million workers furloughed. This includes many thousands of charity sector workers. So what's it like to be furloughed? What can you do to stay calm and carry on in this situation? And what are the opportunities that being furloughed may provide? To answer these questions, we're very grateful for Emma Russ, who spoke to me a few days ago about this. And uh, without further ado, here's the interview with Emma. Speak to you later. I'm delighted to be joined here by Emma Russ, Regional Community Fundraising Manager at Alzheimer's Society. Welcome, Emma, to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Thanks so much for doing this. Um, Really appreciate it. It's lovely to meet you and talk to you. Um, how are you, firstly, I suppose, how are you uh, dealing with the, the current crisis that we're, we're all in? How, you, you're at home, presumably? Yeah, I'm at home. So two children at home as well, um, yeah. missing school and missing the friends. So, yeah, I mean, I think I'm getting by like everybody else. And it's, it's a bit of a roller coaster, isn't it? You have good days and you have bad days. And, and then it kind of goes around in that circle, doesn't it? But, um, yeah. yeah, as we do this, things... So, yeah, things are starting to get a little bit relaxed, whether that's right or wrong. You know, it's it's really difficult, isn't it? Really, really difficult. It is. And as you say, everyone's in that same position. I certainly find I have uh, peaks and troughs in my day to day where sometimes I'm not thinking about the coronavirus. And other times I'm only thinking about the coronavirus, the Im- implications of that. Um, yeah. If we go back uh, to January or maybe February, before all of this kicked off, and it seems like a long time ago, but of course it wasn't only, only a few months ago. Um, what was your what would your typical working day look like? So yeah, I mean, I guess going back to January, I just started a new job at the Alzheimer's Society, so it was yeah really busy. I cover the northwest, so I manage a team of fundraisers across the northwest. Um, so my typical day for me is either in Manchester or Warrington or Preston early morning trains, quite a few visits to York or London. It was, yeah, quite a full-on start to a new job, really. Um, so, yeah, and I'm, I'm, for me, I'm quite a people person. I thrive off that kind of contact, that just getting to talk to people, that human connection, which is something I'm really missing at the minute. Um, so, yeah, a normal day for me is kind of leaving the house 7, 8 o'clock, getting back 6, 7 o'clock. It's quite a full-on day, really. Wow. Yeah. And, and mm. I, I read a recent um, uh, article that you wrote for Civil Society and you were talking there and, it, and actually it resonated with me because I was thinking I'm pretty similar in a way. I, you know, I'm a dad and, uh, and I love my, my son very much, but 
a large part of my, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's a long term, but self-worth or, or kind of the things I, I really enjoy is my job. I absolutely love my, my fundraising job. And so um, you're, you're now obviously in lockdown, you're spending much more time with your kids in, in the house. And then it's probably, I, I see, I've got the same situation here and I see some real benefits to that. It's nice to see my son, but equally I miss being in the office, seeing colleagues. Are you feeling the same kind of way? Yeah, completely. I mean, I'm anybody that knows me, I'm not particularly a mumsy mum. So I, I mean, I know we'll come on to this, but I'm furloughed at the minute. Um, and one of the biggest things that I had to get my head around was the fact that I'd have no distraction. And it sounds awful, I know it does, but that I'd have no distraction from my children. And whilst they're amazing, they are my absolute world. I've always, I've always worked full time. I've always been a people person. I've always, I think they get the best from me. And it's took me a long time, I think, to learn this, but they get the best from me when I've got another purpose and another focus. And I don't have that at the minute. And that's, that's really, really tough. And it was hard for me. It was really hard for me to get my head around. And I'm, I think, yeah, I think they're dying for a break from me now, but <laughs> yeah. So when, when did you get furloughed and how did the, how did the furloughing, what was that process like? So we, I was, fur, I've been furloughed now, I think I'm on week five. It's all blending into one at the minute. Um, it's, yeah, it happened really quickly for us. So we had um, an all staff kind of society briefing and Kate, our CEO, was really honest with us about kind of the position we were in. I'm not sure any of us expected the seriousness of that briefing I don't think we were expecting what was coming but she basically told us that we would be furloughing quite a high number of staff from across all teams um all directorates across the organization um and that those people this was on the Tuesday and we were told that those people will be furloughed from the month the following Monday um then by 6 30 that same night I was told that me and my entire peer group were furloughed so I had three days, yeah, the Wednesday, Thursday and Friday left at work. And it's just, it's impossible to tie things up in that time, isn't it? Mm. So it happened really quickly. And I think as well as trying to tie things up, trying to hand things over, you, you come into terms with it as well, aren't you? So that uh, those three days, which, I mean, I can't even remember them, to be honest. It was a complete whirlwind. Um, we were told... Yeah, we were told it would be reviewed every three weeks. Um, I think at the, fir- the end of the first three weeks, we were told nobody will be back until at least the 1st of June. Um, we haven't heard following that. Mm. Um, so, yeah, as an organisation, we haven't brought anybody back from furlough yet, as far as I'm aware. Um, but, yeah, it was quite a whirlwind process. And I think, I think all organisations going through that, we, well, to be honest, they are, we seem to do it a bit more quickly than other organizations so for me at the time I wasn't surrounded by a lot of other fundraisers and I know it's very different now but I wasn't surrounded by other fundraisers that had been furloughed I felt quite alone in that Mm. I didn't see people talking about it Uh, there was a big argument that fundraisers still needed to be in in post and that fundraising actually now was was more needed than ever isn't it and so I felt quite isolated in that and that's very different now I think a lot more organizations have furloughed and are furloughing fundraisers because they're having to do it to survive but yeah it was a very quick process um and I think as most organizations there's not there's not a manual with it is it is there Mm. so you know people are just kind of finding their ways and getting through it and 
yeah, it was it was a tough tough week, a really tough week. Did it did it feel at the time? Did it feel quite personal, or or did you take it in the context of you know it's, it's happening to all of us and and kind of thinking about the reasons why or how how did it feel at the time? I suppose how how does the uh, how's the feeling of being fellow changed um, since since you were first fellow? Yeah, so I think at the time and it, this it took me a long long time to come to terms. I say a long long time; it's only been five weeks. But the hardest thing I've had to come to terms with is that. It, it isn't personal, but at the time it felt personal. I felt quite a lot of embarrassment about it. I felt um, I felt quite guilty. I mean, I'm using quite a unique position that my team uh, are still in. So my community fundraisers are still working, and actually now I feel really grateful for that um, because I think there is work for them to do, and I think um, we need to be keeping the charity at the heart of communities, and that's what my team are going to be doing and are doing. Um, but it isn't a reflection on you as a fundraiser or your ability to do your job. But that's really hard to understand at the time, really, really hard. You just kind of sit there and think, well, my organisation think they can get through this without me. And that makes you feel really crap. But it, it's it's not the case. And I guess how my views have changed on that is that I've, I've started to come to terms with that. And I've started to understand that actually this is my organisation trying to survive. And to do that, they had to make some really tough decisions. And actually, they're probably more excited about us all going back than we are to go back. Um, I think anybody that's furloughed is just playing a really important part in helping their organisation get through it. Um, so, yeah, I guess my, my opinion on being furloughed has changed. And it, I can't look at it and say that I would have made any different decisions, to be honest. They're, they're impossible decisions, aren't they, I think. Mm. So yeah it's yeah it's tough and I think it's tough whatever side you sat on I think it's really tough for those who are furloughed for obviously reasons we're discussing and we'll talk about but I think for people still at work their I mean the the resources the capacity it's just it, it's out the window isn't it and they're trying to they are doing things they've never had to do before I mean, for my team they're reporting into somebody else um, and that'll be the same for lots of teams as well so it, it's difficult on both sides, isn't it? And I think probably just as tough in very different ways. Yeah, I guess, I mean, there's, there seems to be uh, stress and anxiety for everyone. And, and as you say, it's in different ways. And I guess, um, speaking from my own, my own perspective, I can see that, yeah, on the one hand, um, the sense of people uh, not having their, their work to do, something to occupy their time, fully lead, opens them up to thinking more and worrying more about uh, mm. things um, and then equally for those people still going there's potentially more work to be done less people to do it and uh, more stress on them so for you and your, your current role obviously one of the things we're following is you can't volunteer can you for your organization so what what is it you're doing with your time uh yeah so I, I think I think when I was when I was first furloughed I kind of Work is such a big part of who I am. It always, I've always worked full-time, I've always worked in the charity sector, I've always worked in fundraising, it's who I am. Um, and I think being told I was furloughed, I was kind of really worried about how I would be able to play my part in getting people through this. And that I get such a big, that's, I just get so much from my work 
So having that taken away felt really tough. So at the time, I can't I remember coming across um, there's a couple of Facebook groups for furloughed fundraisers, and I came across them, and I was like, oh my god, this is absolutely brilliant. There's so many more opportunities for me. I can keep doing what I do. I can use my skills and experience. I can still help people, and it felt great. And then. I think reality kicked in and I didn't do any of it. I sat on the sofa for about 10 days. I didn't, I just wallowed. I was really, really just struggling to come to terms with it. And that that felt weird for me as well because I've always done stuff and I'm not a wallower and I've never had this thing before. So it just felt bizarre to go through. But I actually, I think looking back, those kind of 10 days that I spent wallowing on the sofa did me the world of good. Um, I think I finally got to a place where I wanted to join the fight and help others. But I think it's really important for anybody that's furloughed that they don't feel pressured into doing that. I think it's such an emotional journey and giving yourself that time to come to terms with it and that time to come to terms with what's going on as well. I think the enormity of just everything outside the sector is massive, isn't it? And and it, it was consuming at one point for me. So yeah, I think I did, I finally got to a t point where I was ready to carry on and I, I engaged more in the Facebook groups and um, I found, I've just started a really brilliant volunteer role with Age UK, Kensington and Chelsea, so I'm supporting their comms and social media. And I'm also a committee member for the Institute of Fundraising in the Northwest, so I've been helping kind of organise their virtual networking events and stuff, which is completely new to them as a committee. We've never had to do it virtually before, so that's been interesting. Yeah. But I think, I guess other than that, I think if there were any benefits to, to this situation, I guess one of them is there are so many more resources and learning platforms that have gone digital so online resources I mean we've always had podcasts and blogs but there are a lot more at the minute and people have got a lot more time to read them as well and, and listen to them and digest them um conferences are going online training sessions that you know you'd never normally get the opportunity to attend or you can because it's just at your fingertips in your living room isn't it and and that's great so I've, I've started to use that as an opportunity as well and and just learning from it really I guess I, I I want to go back to my job as a better fundraiser and a better manager and I feel really lucky that there are so many resources that will help us to do that so yeah I mean don't get me wrong I still have bad days I mean I'm talking to you now in my pajamas with my unbrushed hair and it, people still have bad days don't they I'm not some sort of machine that's just churning out training courses I'll probably finish this and not do anything for the rest of the day but I am at a point where I'm trying and I, and I want to, but it, it took me a long time to get there. So, yeah, I am managing to fill my days and, yeah, it, but it's tough. And I think in your, in your, um, your article, I was reading, it was, there was, there was certainly, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, and, but I think there was the spirit of something that I really kind of uh, understood and identified with, you know, giving yourself a break if you're, because um, you know this is a really not only is it that you've been furloughed, that people are being furloughed, but it's also compounded by the fact that um, you know they, people can't go out. They, you can't go to the cinema, you can't go to the theatre, you can't go to restaurants or cafes, or you know you're not really supposed. to, I think it's changing now, but um, you know we're recording this in mid uh, mid May, but uh, this is um, you know really unusual times where, and also even if you can go, even if the lockdown is eased a lot of people are worried about going out and catching the coronavirus aren't they? So. yeah 
yeah exactly and so there's there's no distraction from it is there because you can't like you say you can't go out you can't I mean you, you know I've been taking the kids for walks and stuff like that I mean I woke them up one, <laughs> I woke them to much to the delight I woke them up at one morning at four o'clock and walked, marched them up a massive hill to watch the sunrise but um yeah there is no distraction from it so it's it's so consuming and I personally I needed that time to be consumed in it I think and I think that helped me get out of this wallowing stage that I was in where I could get back to a point where actually I, I can still do what I do I just need to do it for somebody else and I need to do it in a very different way and I'll never get the opportunity to take part in as much as I'm doing at the minute so I don't want to waste that but yeah it I mean it's just it is it's really tough and there's there's just no distraction from it and it's I think those bad days are going to happen completely there's nobody here listening to this or wherever across the sector that's not having those bad days that they're they're inevitable aren't they everybody's going to have them do you have any tips for others who have been furloughed at the moment i mean are there and also i suppose in addition to that you know the your organization um, you, you talk about they're checking in with you every three weeks. You might have people listening to this who are senior senior management team, um, chief executives, thinking about furloughing staff. Um, any any kind of tips for them on, on what's going on, what, what could be improved? Yeah, I think, for me, communication is a massive part of it. So I, I speak to my team for a virtual coffee break most days, and we don't talk about work, but I get a lot from keeping in touch with them. I get quite a lot of organisational updates sent through. I can dial into quite a lot. I can still dial into all the society briefings and stuff like that. So that's that's key for me. One of my fundraisers organises a chat in a hat every week. And whether you're furloughed or not, we can dial in. It started as a chat in a hat. We ran out of hats quite quickly. So I think we've had a, a Christmas-themed one where we had a ukulele band singing random Christmas songs. They're brilliant. And it's just, you know, the half an hour once a week. And it's fantastic. And I think... As much as I get from that, as a furloughed member of staff, the team that are still in there get a lot from them as well. So that's brilliant. And I'm, I'm quite lucky, aren't I, I guess, to work in a national organisation where there's other people going through what I'm going through. And that's so not going to be the case for everybody else. I think if you're not in that kind of position I'm in, I'd find people that are furloughed because nobody else will understand what you feel better than somebody else that's going through it. So that I think is so important is the one piece of advice I give to anybody that's furloughed I don't in terms of anything they could do better I'm really not sure there's nothing there's nothing to compare it to is there um government guidance at the start was so kind of basic and um lacking detail organizations were just left to kind of wade through stuff and and that's tough isn't it I wouldn't have wanted to be the person making those decisions or implementing those teams that are furloughed because that must have been so tough as well yeah so it, it it's it's really tough and I do think there's a responsibility for both I guess for the organization and those who were furloughed to keep in touch it's really difficult to keep in touch with people that don't want to be kept in touch with isn't it so I think that responsibility is on the organization and us as furloughed employees as well you know, I could, I could quite easily not dial into the stuff I'm dialing into, but I know if I don't, when I go back to my job, 
I'm going to really struggle. I'm going to have not worked for however long and I've missed out on, on so much. That's going to be really tough. And I, I actually think, and it'll be interesting to see when it happens. I actually think the hardest thing is going to be the transition back to work. Um, I think people need a lot of support. I mean, me, I've worked all my life since I was 18. The longest I've ever had off is three weeks. And whilst I can't wait to go back to work, literally can't wait, it's going to be really tough and it's going to be quite an adjustment. And I think I know that I'll get the support I need from my employer to do that. I just hope that everybody gets the support they need to do that because I do think that's going to be a real challenge for people. Do you have any views about uh, furloughing in general? I mean, there's been a little bit of criticism. Um, we've spoken to uh, Deborah Alcock Tyler, the chief executive um, director of social change, and she was talking about this. And and you know, she's uh, she's not a big fan of the furloughing scheme for the charity sector. How do you feel about it? Uh, it yeah, I mean, I'm a massive fan of Deborah Alcock Tyler, so I'm not going to disagree with anything she says. <laughs> but I I have the you know what I have the same opinion I think generally outside of the charity sector it's a job retention scheme that's helping organizations across all sectors stay alive and keep going and if somebody had said to me a year ago that millions of people would have been paid 80% of the wage not to be able to go to work but so that they could keep the job I wouldn't have believed it either that it was needed or that people would be paid 80% of the salaries to keep the jobs mm. I think in terms of charities it's it's really difficult isn't it I strongly think that our sector needs and should have and deserves more support I think the support we have been given should be more fluid so things like not being able to volunteer for your charity it feels ridiculous you know it's not about saving the charity sector is it it's about the people that we exist to support and at the minute we can't use our knowledge of our own organizations to help them carry on what they're doing and we know there's an increased demand on services and we know our income has fallen off a cliff so it, it just it doesn't feel fluid enough and I don't think it's just not enough it doesn't value the life-saving contribution we make to society that our sector makes to society and that that's just ridiculous and I think it shows a massive misunderstanding of our sector I think if one thing is absolutely clear in all of this it's that the government doesn't understand our sector and it doesn't understand the contribution we make and it doesn't understand how we work and I hope that that changes and I think there's lots of people like Deborah lots of other organizations are really playing a big part in in changing that opinion and I hope that continues and and yeah I hope we get through to people and people do start to understand. We know that we're going to have uh, a world which has you know, already been affected massively. It's going to continue to be affected massively. I don't think anyone would contest that we're going to have more people in more need at the end of this. So, uh, as you say, you know, charities are, uh, are needed, but equally, we're going to we're going to have even more challenges to maintaining what we're doing and keeping going what are your hopes and worries for the future Emma? i guess going back a stage i really believe that there's 
still a need for fundraising right now. But I also know that organisations are having to furlough large numbers of staff just to survive. And that's you can't argue with that, can you? They're, they're making decisions so that they can still support the people we exist for. But I think it will be really interesting on the other side of this to look at the recoveries of charities who have furloughed entire fundraising teams and those who haven't. And I think I think that's a real worry for me. It's not just going to be get back to work, we'll pick up where we left off, fundraising will be fine. If it's an organisation that's had to furlough an entire team or a lot of a team, that's going to be a real big challenge isn't it to get back you know we talk about relationship fundraising all the time don't we but those relationships just aren't going to be a thing are they there's just it's so difficult so that's that's a real worry for me and I think the enormity of the impact of this on the sector it it just it, it breaks my heart in all honesty it's just so sad and it's the people that are gonna lose support lose our support it it it's just that's that's my biggest worry I think and I just hope that we do get some support more support the right support to get through it a bit better than we are doing at the minute. I mean fundraisers are, are hopeful creatures aren't they because uh, you know you need to be with the rejections that you get from the uh, conversation you have sometimes and also I suppose the benefit of seeing the work that you're doing the belief in the work that you're doing which is you know world changing in, in small ways it's not big um yeah I, I hope that you know as you say I, I hope that we find ourselves in a world where maybe more people have more empathy for our causes because everyone's going through hardship now you know rich or poor i mean you know you see these uh these articles occasionally of um, very wealthy people getting lambasted for you know saying oh it's tough on lockdown and they're in a mansion or on a, a yacht but I suppose everyone, it's relative, isn't it? It's relative for everyone. It's, it's harder. Maybe that will mean that um, there'll be a slightly more uh, kind of sense of solidarity. And also, I suppose you've seen you know, the, the Colonel Tom fundraising and the way that's really, there's a lot of compassion out there at the moment. So. Yeah, people want to help, don't they? People want to, people want to support. And I think especially for any charity doing anything kind of frontline response right now, people want to help that people. There's nothing. And I hope there will never be anything again like this that has united our country more. I don't think in some respects, people, they just want to help and people are all, no matter kind of where you are in life, where you are in the country, people are seeing the impact. People have relatives in care homes or somebody that's had to be admitted to hospital. They've got a loved one that they've lost because of COVID and it, it's, it's affected us all. It's not just affected a certain part of our nation, has it? It's, it's everybody and it's everything in it. And so, yeah, it's, it's just, it's huge, isn't it? When you start to think about the enormity of it, it is really huge. Emma Russ, thank you for contributing to Charity Chat. Thank you very much for having me. It's been lovely. Big thank you there to Emma Russ for her honest and articulate account of what it's like for her being on furlough. This may be the same experience for many thousands or even millions of others. Perhaps you are in a similar situation yourself. 
It strikes me that there's something very unfair about the furloughing taking place. And while it clearly aims to give businesses and individuals some security during the coronavirus crisis, it also has some very negative effects. For many, maybe all of us, there is a sense of free falling right now. And while charities are taking a lead in cushioning that fall with an increase in their delivery for the most vulnerable people in society, many other charities are being hamstrung by government policies like the furloughing, which deliberately or inadvertently are essentially paying them to fail. Emma and many others like her are nobly working their hardest within the solid red lines of the furloughing scheme to volunteer, though not for their own charity, and to contribute to our society at this time of great crisis. Perhaps the wounds that furloughing has given to individuals, charities, and indeed the charity sector will only be noticed after the crisis. Perhaps its scars will be another challenge that so many people will face after the lockdown. Like the coronavirus crisis itself, perhaps this scar will help us to grow our compassion for others or drive us to help make our society more equal and more fair. I hope so. I also hope that you, dear listener, are doing okay. I certainly find some days are brighter than others at the moment, and it is a struggle. We must hope for a better day, though, and let that hope drive us out of our slumps, anxieties and feelings of discombobulation. We're all in this together. Never was this more true in our lifetime than now, though as a progressive society warrior... I think you know that already, right? Thank you for listening. We hope this helps. Stay safe and do what you can. A big thank you to our corporate sponsors, Giant Squid Audio Lab, for sponsoring our podcast kit. Magda Axmit for the beautiful website design. Check it out, charitychat.org.uk. RRER Photography for the lovely pro bono images on the website. And Forest of Fools, who've been playing throughout the show and are playing us out right now. That's it from me. Looking forward to speaking to you soon. Goodbye. Don't